We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. What's going on, guys? Andrew here once again with a quick programming note. The episode you are about to listen to is part two of a special two-part episode with John Schmelk of the New York Giants. He is a podcast host on the New York Giants podcast network. Um, He's also a former host of a Knicks podcast at WFAN's uh, at WFAN. It was called The Bank Shot. And he joined John and Jeremy for a very lengthy conversation about the state of the Knicks. Uh, if you're listening to this, this is part two, and you may have missed part one. So go back and listen to that so you listen to them in order if you haven't yet. In part one, the RJ takes are flying, and you can go ahead and at him later today and ask him why he hates RJ Barrett. Or you may want to do some introspection and ask whether or not his questions are fair about the ceiling of RJ Barrett. Uh, so go back and listen to that. John's a, a friend of the pod. And so we obviously appreciate him dedicating so much time to us, if, especially when you hear at the beginning of part one, what's happened in his life recently. That's made his life a little bit busier uh, here in part two. They get into the, some of the merits of tanking and whether that actually creates a better position for a situation for a superstar to want to come here or whether it doesn't because your team is marginally worse and stars don't want to go play for a team that's marginally worse. And then they get into a little bit of draft talk before some predictions, both for the upcoming Knicks season and because we've got a Giants expert here for you New York Giants fans, some New York Giants predictions for the upcoming season. I know what I wanted him to say. He predicted about six wins too many for me. Okay. Thank you for listening, everybody. Really hope you enjoyed this two-part Friday episode. Draft class drops tomorrow with Chris Percyinen. We're taking a break from cap or no cap, but still dropping a fun draft-themed episode on Monday for Memorial Day. So I'll say at the top here, have a great Memorial Day weekend for those of you here in the States. Um, Obviously, not the greatest week for those of us here in the States, but... Here's a fun distraction for you. Part two of our special two-part episode with John Schmilk of the New York Giants. Enjoy. Now, let me ask you this question. Now, this is more theoretical because I don't think the Knicks could, even if they wanted to, get in this situation, nor do I think they will. So this is more of a theoretical question. What do you think would be more attractive to a superstar for the two of you? 
a team that is coming off a 38-win team, a 44-win season with a couple of solid young pieces, maybe one guy that's a borderline all-star that looks competent, or a team that's coming off a 18-win year, they draft a Cade Cunningham-level prospect, then they win 28 the next year, they get another you know, really top-level prospect, you have another average young player on the team. Do you think the superstar is more attracted to the group that doesn't have the two young guys with the star potential that won a few more games? Or do you think they're more attracted to the team that has solid pieces put together a solid team, but doesn't have a guy that has that, you know, Cade Cunningham type of, oh, this guy could be a star type of feel to him. And again, I don't think this is realistic for the Knicks. I'm just throwing it out there as a yeah, theory. I, I, I'll i jump on this because I, one, I think it's, and we again, this is a topic we've kind of covered tangentially, but maybe not directly. The notion that you could tank your way into multiple multiple all-star level prospects. I, I really do think that that's overblown one because of the, the flattened lottery odds. It's hard to, because just, I think there was an article uh, maybe on ESPN this week talking about how like very, 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 it was maybe today, actually very, very rarely do the best three players in the draft end up going in the top three. And oftentimes like you'll have multiple busts in the top, Five, you know, I mean, we, you we almost need four shots to get two guys. Is that's the way I kind of look at it. Yeah. Which is why, yeah. you know, that's why Hinky was like, yeah, we're, this is not going to be a one or two year thing. This is going to be a, a, a four year process. And like, you know, didn't hit with Noel, didn't hit with Okafer, hit with Embiid, Simmons, you know, that's kinda, a hit. Simmons is you a know, kind of sort of a hit. Um, so putting that aside, I don't think stars want to come and play with kids. I think stars, I personally think a star to me, if a star is going to come to New York, they're going to come. The first thing in their mind is going to be, who can I get to play with me here? Mm -hmm. Right. That's what that's, that's my thinking. And that's why it's like, to me, it's like you, you said before, like getting the first superstar is the easy part. I don't know if I agree with that, but like, do I think that there is a, non-zero chance that they could get Donovan Mitchell in the door at some point in the next 18 months. Yeah, I do. I think that's, I think that's definitely in the cards. Um, we should sh say earlier today report came out. Uh, I think Stein might've had it first. Berman also had it that they hired as a G league coach. Um, the son, uh, yeah. Sagana, Sagana yeah. job. Yeah. Who used to coach in Utah. Um, so, you know, connect your dots if you want. Uh, <laughs> You know, but it's it's about who's that tick, tick, next tick. guy, and, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry, <Tim>. uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Talk about not beating around the bush in, in his article. Shout out Mark Berman. Um, anyway, it's just about that. Then who's the next guy? And like that's the thing we can't answer. Like we could look around the league, we go through all thirty teams and be like, well, it could be this guy, it could be this guy, you know. But like these guys change teams so often. Like it's I, just, yeah, I agree, a hundred percent. And the reason is. Yes, it is this kind of mindset of like, why do I, a player in my prime, want to go play with a younger player who still has time to grow? And like, if the Knicks said Luka Doncic, would I be saying That'd be the different. opposite? Of course, but and it'd be different for that exact reason. And yeah. if Dallas, they're in an, a tough spot just based on the contracts and everything they've got and being in Dallas as opposed to New York, LA, Chicago. But that aside... Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, just to go back to them for a second, they said, I want to play with you. You want to play with me? Where can we go where we feel comfortable and have a supporting cast? And they went to Brooklyn. And we could run the organization. And yes. And where, where can we exert <laughs> the power that we want? And they did such a good job that they brought in DeAndre Jordan and that went really well. Good but job, they fellas. also had, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie on a super cheap contract at the time. Joe Harris was making next to nothing. They had drafted um, Jarrett Allen. Karis LeVert was on the team. They, they were able to build it out. Their mistake wasn't getting another star. It was getting the wrong star and also a few other things on the way, but I digress. Kawhi and PG. Kawhi, I want to go to LA. Uh, Russ, can you tell Paul George to ask if he wants to go with me to LA? Uh, Paul George wanted to do it. They made it work. They traded SGA, who, mind you, would have been that young star that they could build with. And exactly. instead, it was the price of doing business. Where they Why didn't they didn't give it a second thought? Like, hey, this SGA kid, he might be good. Maybe right. in a few years. This No, nope, yeah. get me and fucking if, Paul George. And if you're the Clippers, you're like, well, we lost out on SGA, but okay, we, we did get Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, so we'll work with that. And I just... 
there's so much stink with this organization. And last year, not this past season, but the, the year where they made the playoffs felt like the first year where they're finally getting out of the mud. And they're finally having this feeling of like, Nick's basketball is on the rise and it feels great. You know, just the brand itself. Look at the Suns when they had Devin Booker, a star, superstar, some might say, I might say. You might say. I might say. And I, I declare, would say. I agree. Thank you. Thank you. I would say. Um, wow. Chris Paul, too, by the way. Sorry, Macri. Getting it up on <laughs> Love it. Although I think the door for Chris Paul may have uh, yes. closed. Oh, but it, there. It, At it the time of the conversation, <laughs> it was still active. But I, 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 I would love to have a debate about Macri's 1990s guys who were stars in Horn, too, by the way. As the only person that was alive during that time on this podcast. Uh, next well, episode. Yes. <laughs> but then you look at that team and what it basically stood for. I think that Devin Booker had 70 different teammates over a five-year span. The amount of turnover... It was ridiculous. And then they draft Mikhail Bridges. Devin Booker is no longer looked at as this empty stats guy. He's suddenly on the rise. And they, yes, they tanked. They tanked and they got DeAndre Ayton. And then they played well. They go an 8-0 in the bubble and then attracted Chris Paul. And then they made the finals. If the Suns hadn't done that well in the bubble, would Chris Paul have given the Phoenix a second thought? I don't think so. No, I think I, it took them showing this is what we can do. Look how fun we are. Look at the ability we're able to, to have here. And what did it really cost them? Kelly Oubre, but, Ricky Rubio. Uh, but you just nailed something. You, you just nailed something. Mikal Bridges, 10th pick, right? 10th pick. Mm -hmm. uh, Cameron Johnson, 11th pick. And they traded down. And they traded down and they picked up an additional asset in, in Dario Saric, who like not playing a huge role for them now, but like Again, you win some, you lose some. You have to hit. Yeah, you have to hit those picks, and that's why I think we're we're, we're talking about the superstars and this and anything. Just can Obi Toppin get better? Can Cam Reddish look like the guy? Something resembling the guy that went to Duke, right? As one of the top four prospects in the country at some point this year. Can Emmanuel quickly take a step up? Can Quentin Grimes take a step up? Can whoever they draft this year take a step up? Can RJ take a step like? I'm throwing a lot of things out there. You know, you could make a list of five or six or seven things. If four of them happen or if five of them happen, I'm not worried about anything else. Everything else will take care of itself. You're going to, whether they go and make a, a, a move for Brogdon or Brunson or Colin Sexton or whatever, like as long as those five or six key young guys get a chance to improve and play, which does have to do with like the Brogdon of it all, because like I, I don't love that. The idea of that move again, different conversation, but then good things are going to happen, you know, whether it's trades or free agency or this and the other thing, like you just get better, get better. With no, your young I agree with you. And I think two other things I think are important here. Then one, well, I guess we'll do the draft last. Should the Knicks start being a little bit more aggressive in terms of taking more shots at upside? Right, because I think in a lot of ways they in the draft or on it both both. I think they've used their money on some safer veterans, right? You know, to raise their floor. I thought the reddish trade was maybe a pivot, right? You trade a pick that's not going to yeah. show up for a couple of years for a guy that you think is all star tools. Yeah. Do you think now since they have so many guys that are playable? and frankly, not enough minutes for so many guys that are good enough to play but not great, that they need to start taking some bigger swings here for upside, even if they're risking a bust, then getting a guy that you think, oh, he'll be a solid rotation guy for us and help. Is that a pivot they have to try to make here? And, you know, throwing money at a restricted young guy like Jalen Brunson, I think would be categorized as that, right? Well, you have to pay Sexton's a lot, but I think restricted. swinging yeah. for a guy that can become something. As bad of a move it was, because we knew what he was, that's what the Tim Hardaway Jr. thing was, right? You throw money at a young guy hoping that he can take that next step and become something more than that. Is that a pivot this team now has to make because of the roster construction and trying to find that second star? Is it worth sacrificing the floor a little bit and also sacrificing the number of assets you have in terms of players and or picks to have a few more shots at bigger upside in either trading up in the draft or even shooting at maybe some younger free agents that might come with a little bit of risk. Can I respond? Can I answer your question with a question? Yeah. Couldn't you say there is a at least decent chance that the players the Knicks have drafted have that ceiling that you're talking about, but they have not had the time 
or the ability to get closer to showing it. Well, I mean, I think it's hard to find guys with that ceiling in the 20s. Well, sure. But like, yes, I, I see what you're saying. The way I see it is that the Knicks have put so much, they've invested so heavily in their analytics department that the way they are looking at it doesn't seem to be how can we get high floor guys? It's also like, who are the best players? What are the best players the NBA typically have? Pull up abilities. Let's find guys who can do really well off the dribble. And I know that for our last draft podcast, and this was something I wanted to clarify, but didn't actually get to do at the time and want to add it now. There are players who maybe can pull up and didn't have the opportunity to be used in that role. Like a lot of Kentucky guys, Ty Ty Washington, for example, Devin Booker, any of the Kentucky guys you really want to mention, most of them did not have the opportunity to pull up. So there might be some sort of like hidden or untapped talent that we don't have the access to. But I hear what you're saying completely. If the Knicks are in the lottery and they are, and they even if they even have an opportunity to trade up, if you can find a way to get talent where you feel comfortable maximizing the ceiling, why wouldn't you? Because if you do have these high floor guys and you know like again, I think that Grimes, he's a great 3 and D player, but he also did a great job off the dribble last year and mm-hmm. was a top prospect coming out of high school. So like, what is to say he can't then become a really good secondary creator, someone who can have the offense doesn't have to just be catch and release type thing. And so it's like a hundred percent. They want to find guys with the high ceilings, but if they pick the right players, then they should have high floors to begin with. It just seems like, uh, and not, not you specifically, of course, but we're so scarred by the like, potential of Frank Nielakina, the potential of Kevin Knox, that it feels like there's not a floor in place. You can only go ceiling or floor. And I think with a lot of these players that are available, it's just how do you find the guys? How do you acquire the players who do have that high floor? But there is also a realistic ceiling that you know with your development staff and hopefully playing time, they can get to. No, I agree with that. And I think I probably meant more in terms of free agency moves than, than I meant in the draft, probably. Like, I would have loved to roll the dice on Malik Monk last year, for example. But they decided we'd rather have a veteran that we know what he is rather than taking a young guy that, you you know, like this year. Do you roll the dice on a Mobamba? A young guy that I, can become something. Like, do you want to roll the dice more on guys like that, that maybe if they don't work out, it costs you a couple of wins, but you have a guy that you think can maybe end up becoming more than he is now. But you talk about, right? They need to got guys on the cheap. They need lightning to strike here at some point. Do you need to take more shots for that to happen to just maximize your chance for for building a better team and being able to take a bigger step that you're not going to get if you go and you sign Alec Burke. I think get if wasn't that Cam Reddish like though, that. to an extent? Yeah, I think that I think Cam Reddish is the is the sort because to me like what you're describing sounds a lot like Colin Sexton. I, I would say is, I would who, say he would qualify in that category. Sure, you know, right? He's a guy mm-hmm. that last time he was healthy and playing a lot of minutes, he averaged 24 and efficient. 24 points a game, you know, 24 and six actually, or 24 and four, whatever it was. Um, you could look at him and be like, man, is there an, un- an untapped star potential here? I think you really have to rely on your, on your scouting staff. Like I'm not really a sexton guy. No, neither to am me, I. Neither to am me, I. it's, it's, and like Bamba, like, I, I don't know. Like, and I, I wrote about Bamba. I think it's a worthy flyer. I don't think it's crazy at all. Is that the guy that's going to change your life? I, I I don't see that buy low opportunity on the market this summer. Maybe I'm maybe I'm missing someone. I think Cam was was that. Now whether he turns into anything, we'll see. I think this is a better draft question. This is a, that's a good transition to we we can end it with draft talk because like so I started digging into Johnny Davis like Johnny we, and we haven't really talked draft on this pod much, but like Johnny Davis was a guy who was essentially the preeminent shot creator in college basketball for most of last season. And then he started to tail off over the last about dozen games where he's shooting really well in the tank. I think he hit like 20% from three over the last dozen games. But like, that's a dude that for a while in the college basketball season, he looked the part and it was like, and they were concerns, you know, sophomore player, like not, doesn't have blow by speed, like not crazy athleticism, like didn't get to the rim a ton, didn't finish great. Like, but in terms of like pulling up on a dime, stopping, you know, draining those mid rangers, mid rangers we're talking about, um, you know, had a, had a nice spot up game behind the arc. Like the makings were there. Then he fell off. It looks like you're going to be able to get him with the 11th pick. 
do is like is that the move or do you go more for a guy like uh Ben Matherin who I wrote about for the newsletter today where it's there's I don't think there's any real shot creation upside there but in terms of a guy who's a movement shooter creates some real gravity on offense you know off the ball uh great cutter you know he gets in the muck he, he gets like six rebounds a game from the guard position uh does lots of things great in transition all kinds of things lower ceiling but to me it's like again it goes back to phoenix cam johnson mccall bridges not super high ceiling guys but those were the right picks for that organization well, but at they that already time. had devin booker that's the difference and yes they did but, but devin um, booker still wasn't devin booker how we see him at the time but uh when in they fact, drafted cam johnson he was getting close don't get me wrong. He was certainly better, but it, it's like, I'm not, I'm not trying to compare Devin Booker where he was at when they drafted Cam Johnson and RJ Barrett at this moment. I, I just want to make that abundantly clear, but I think that a lot of the kind of concerns or like it wasn't efficiency so much with Devin Booker, but it was like, is this guy just a pure scorer who doesn't have an impact on winning? And I think with RJ, it's, it, those aren't the same concerns, but he has his own you know, warts that feel that way. And I just volume I feel score like on we, a bad team, which is sure, always yes. a red flag. Yeah. Exactly. And mm-hmm. when there's that type of overlap, you kind of wonder about the direction and, and where you go from that. I, I think for Johnny Davis, I think I saw something where like he did, a he had a ton of dunks early in the season. And he had like one towards the end, which kind of the drop off might've been due to injury. And if that's the case, mm-hmm. then you wonder, okay, well, if he's so good, does he get picked? Early? There was an injury later in the season that he suffered. Right. Yeah, ankle, um, I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I, I really like Mathern. I think there's certainly room to grow there and the explosiveness. It, it adds an element that the Knicks don't necessarily have. Yep. And yeah, that that's where you certainly want to build and accumulate in terms of the assets that you've got there. But that's why I feel like if the Knicks need to move up, do it. Even if I don't necessarily agree with the player, if they feel that that's their guy and um, they need to take him off the board, commit. Absolutely. That's where I'm at. That's and I, where and I'm I, at. I think we all have to trust Walt Perrin to know that guy, right? Based on his history, we have to trust him. We have to. The, the Yes. The, the funny thing is that Perrin's hits are like the end of the lottery and out. Right, I know. We're like you got the Trey Burks, the world, the NS Cannon, but still, like, even so, yes, you trust him. And I think that the beauty of it is still the fact that the Knicks have so heavily invested in the analytics side of it. You pair his eye with their numbers, you get something that can be at the very least good. And then if you're trading from depth and looking to get the star or the superstar or whatever, then you're in a good spot. But yeah, you they need to take a stab here because hopefully this is the last time that they are in the lottery for a while. I, I hope to not see them in the lottery for another 15 years. Well, and I'll say this too. You can't draft bigs. I mean, guys, let's just be honest. Like bigs don't turn the needle. I mean, DeAndre Ayton, was, he's not a bust. He's a really good player, right? What is he? The fourth most important player on the Suns? Yeah. Literally the fourth most important player. Well, I mean, if he was the third most important player, they might still be playing, but yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. But guys, and, and that's why I, I still think I know fans love Obi and I, I have no problem with Obi, but that's why when you don't, you don't pick bigs that early because yeah. they just, they yeah, do. Obi, he, does, he does so much more with the creation. Yeah. Like, I think he's not like, to me, they're like bigs who are rim, rim runners play the five and not a whole, a whole lot to unlock. Like, like if you took Mitch eighth overall, for example, right. or in the lottery, then it'd be a problem. But with Obi, he's he does enough connecting. He's cr- creative enough where like he improvises with his cuts, even though Tibbs doesn't have him run it. It's just the problem is he's been so relegated to hey yeah. spot up in the corner. Uh, hey, is- like we're not going to run things with you, but get creative and uh, and you you eat what you kill, sort of thing. Right. But my and bottom line theory Dayton is that and what he did, he was just so dominant that you have to look at what can come from that. Sure. Fair. But you still can't draft a big here. I mean, if okay. you're in the Knicks, no, you know, no, they shouldn't. They should you also not, can't. They should not draft you, a big here. And John, you also, I, I know you, this is going to hurt you inside. You can't draft for Tibbs because no, I know, no, Tibbs, no, no, no. you know, you, you know, oh, Tibbs needs this for assistant. Tibbs no, wants no. this. I don't give two craps what Tom Thibodeau wants. You tell no. him we're giving you this player. You coach him because well, I, it doesn't matter what Tom Thibodeau does. When this uh, look, if you're looking at 2025, 2026 timeline, guess what? 
Tom Tittle ain't going to be here. But that's doesn't matter how the, good of a coach he is. Doesn't matter what he does. He ain't going to be here. So you just pick the guy that you think is going to be the best guy in four years. There's no one on this roster, no one on this roster that should prevent you from picking a player. I don't want to hear a fan say, oh, they have Emmanuel quickly. You can't draft this guy. No, no, no. You draft him. If you think draft, he, you can draft over anybody on this draft roster, draft the best right player now. available. It's That's not it. even a conversation. Wing or guard, big, not not taking a four or a five, unless it's like Paolo Banchero, who's basically like a small four and a power forward body. But like you, you just you have to. The Knicks need efficient creators, right? Obi's a great a finisher. He's not an efficient creator. Right? Listen, if you could trade up to take a, a stab at a guy like Shaden Sharp. I, 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 we, or I do, uh, right. Well, I mean, I, I don't, yeah, sure. Tough, yes. Yeah. That would be he great. Can. Either of those two guys, I would have, I don't, I, it, there's a part of me that wants to be like, I don't even care what the trade is. If they have that much faith in one of those two players <laughs> and they, and they are able to go up and, and get them and they think that's going to be the difference maker that we're talking about, like the found money, like what you, what you need to jump there to, to get things going, go do it. Um, I do think there's some overlap, though, between what Tibbs likes and what the front office wants. It's just finding the sweet spot. But then you don't even need to go over the sweet spot because the Knicks have operated without having Tibbs's best interests being played at all. Like as much as I am not the biggest Tibbs fan, I know of the three of us, I am probably most on the side of like, let's consider getting some new life in here in the not so distant future. No, I would um, I would have no problem if they made a move with coach. I'd okay. be fine with that. I wouldn't either for what for the right, record. Right. As but I've it, said. It's still like he's experienced enough where he knows work ethic. He yeah. knows drive. He knows passion. He knows what talent looks like. He, he's not he didn't do a very good job of it as president of basketball operations, but he's also not being asked to do that. And so if you can use his insight and combine it with what the front office is thinking, I think you can get a great prospect. The question is, can they agree on it? And at the end of the day, it probably doesn't even matter because the front office is going to do what's in its best interest long-term. Yeah. Right. And you need someone willing to trade down, right? That's always the trick. You know, can you, you know, who, who drops to Portland and do they want to Randall? You know, do do the Kings want to move out of that spot? You know, and you just don't know if you can make a, a trade that you get decent value back. It's just, it's very difficult. And I think, you know, you look at the NFL and it's funny, like you could be great unless you have the quarterback. It doesn't matter. And I feel like that's where you kind of are in, in the NBA now, right? You it can is. be great if you don't have the, if you don't have the stars in place, it, it, it it's just kind of insignificant. So you just kind of have to do whatever you can to get those stars. And it's, it's a slog. It's tough. And I just think, you know, it's almost like that year last year, guys, was the worst thing that could have happened because it set such unrealistic expectations and sped up the timeline so much for so many people. There's that a, there's a, there's a sliding doors moment there where it's like, what if that year did not go that way? Yeah. And I think this year would have been different. You know, you get a better, you get, you, you get better picks. You don't pay Randall. Where are you now? You know, the expectations are different. Does the front office do things differently? Do are the veterans even on the roster for Tibbs to play over the young guys? And then people aren't mad at Thibodeau, right? So there's just this cascading effect of that year, which was, you know, so much fun to live through. We all loved it. It was fantastic. Oh my God. It was great. Was great, but in the end, is that something that actually hurt this team in the long term? Which would be such classic Knicks, where their well, one good year in ten years actually hurts them. We're in, gonna in find the out. Long run, which it, it, it just sucks. It comes gonna, down to the players they drafted. We're gonna find out yeah. this summer. I think. I think for as much as none of us are expecting a lot this summer, I, this summer is gonna tell us a lot about the direction of the franchise and where they think they are. And in terms of this whole conversation that we've had, I think they are going to answer a lot of these questions for us with what they do over the next, whatever it is, six weeks. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. So you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most, when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey guys, quick break to tell you about Factor. Factor makes it easy to eat clean 24-7 with fresh, never frozen, prepared meals that are so delicious you wouldn't believe they're actually good for you. Factor saves you time by delivering chef-crafted meals to your doorstep, eliminating the hassle of grocery shopping and meal prep. Not to mention cleanup. No dishes to wash here. Each Factor meal arrives pre-prepared and ready to eat in two minutes. That's even faster than ordering in. Factor tackles the tough stuff so I don't have to. Their registered dietitians and expert chefs work hand-in-hand to create meals with nutritious ingredients. And with 29 meal options each week, I'm never bored. Going off script for this next part to tell you just how convenient and delicious I've found Factor. My to-do list is usually never-ending, whether it's producing this show, hosting my own show final review, preparing a proposal in Long Beach, doing my taxes, or whatever else. I rarely have time for meal prep. When Factor sent me a box to test out, I chose the extra protein option. They sent me a week's worth of meals, and I had no idea just how convenient this was going to be. Each meal comes pre-prepared. You just put it in the microwave for two minutes, wait another two minutes for it to cool down, and boom, in four minutes, my meal is ready, and it's delicious as well. Last night while I was editing this podcast, I heated up the pork shepherd's pie with white cheddar, Yukon mash, and roasted green beans. Not only was the prep time non-existent, but I was able to get a lunch break in and still get the podcast out for all of you to hear without taking a significant break. They have plenty of other meal options as well. There's vegan and veggie meals, keto, low-calorie options, cold-pressure juices, smoothies, energy bites, plant-based bars, extra protein, the one I chose, veggie sides, and more to keep you fueled and focused all day long. Don't hesitate. Head to go.factor75.com slash filmschool120 and use promo code filmschool120 and get $120 off. That's code filmschool120 at go.factor75.com slash filmschool120 for $120 off. Do you guys think Burks and Rose are on the opening day roster next year? Though, because those to me are the two key guys, right? Those are Tibbs' guys. If Burks is here, he's playing 35 minutes. If Rose is here, he's playing 28 minutes. Period. Stop. I, it's happening. Does the front office leave them there for Tibbs to do that, to take the minutes away from Cam Reddish, to take the minutes away from Emmanuel quickly? Does he? Do they allow that to happen? That, to me, is a huge question. I, I think one is here. I think both are gone. I, I hope you're right, Jeremy. I actually hope you're right, too. I, I do, too. <laughs> Let me ask you this. 
Julius Randall, Evan Fournier, Derek Rose, Alec Burks, Nerlens Noel, Kemba Walker. Six names. Give me an over-under for how many of those players are still here. It's a good question. See, Fournier is a guy I wouldn't sell long. I actually think Fournier is okay. I'm not as, I think Fournier is fine. I think he helps you win. I think he's okay. Um, I mean, they would trade Noel if they could. I just don't know if anyone's going to take him, to be honest with you. I would say you're probably at three of those six guys will be back. I was about to say, the over-under should be, should probably be three and a half that are still back because Kem is an easy one. Kem is easy one. Yeah, Kem is going to be gone. One more is going to be gone. I don't know if they're going to be traded for another play, another veteran that needs to play, but like you could count on at least one more. It's really like, because it, if you're saying then three of the six, I mean, I, I would love if like one of the six was back, but you know, I don't, I don't know if that's realistic. <laughs> um, I'm going to say four and a half, but I actually call me crazy. I feel like it could be over four and a half are back. I'm sorry. If we're, I'm sorry. If we're saying back, which is yes, you're right. Oh no. You're, okay. Uh, I'm going to go then what? One and a half. One and a half back. So wow. who's most who's most likely to be back and who's most who's most likely to be gone in your opinion, Jeremy? Well, Kamba for sure. Absolutely gone. I still I will beat this drum until I'm blue in the face, consolidating in a way for a player like Gordon Hayward, where you're able to turn Fournier, maybe it's Noel, uh, and or Kemba. Math still works whether or not they're two or three of those guys. Uh, one obviously being Fournier going out. Um, that could do it. Again, I still I just don't see Julius returning. I know that we've talked about it. I know we've gone over the, the, the teams and the players. I understand the implications. I just, I don't, I don't see him being here. And then with Derek Rose, I will still maintain that if the Knicks are able to get someone like Jalen Brunson, like Malcolm Brogdon, whoever it is, that the player likely going out is someone like Derrick Rose. And then you have the question of Mitchell Robinson. Is he going to be here? If he's not going to be here and how the Knicks handle that, are they trading for a center? Do you have Alec Burks being shipped out for a center? And lo and behold, I've just named all six guys. And it's like, it really just takes what? I, I mean, it seems like three to four trades is a lot. And don't get me wrong. It is. It's a lot. But this summer, because free agency is weaker, I don't think people are necessarily anticipating how crazy the trade market could be. And I think that we That's as fair. Knicks fans are so uh, comfortable watching this team. And I don't mean that in a good way, but just like <laughs> we know what this team is. We know the players. We're naturally more sour on them because why shouldn't we be? And I just think that like you look at other fans, they see buy low opportunities. And if Knicks fans are the point, like, great, get this guy off the books. And other fans are even saying, oh yeah, you know, We'd be willing to do something that's marginal. The fans don't control the teams, but even still, it just goes to show that other fan bases all have their thorns that they get caught in. And we're no, we're no different than that. I, I, I agree with everything you said. Uh, I also agree. Kemba. If Ke there is literally a better chance, John, that you would suit up for the Knicks for a game next season <laughs> than Kemba Walker. Um, I, I, I'll I disagree with Jeremy, and I think Fournier is the one I would probably put the most money on to be back. Um, although I think he could be traded. And my low-key... I'm starting to envision a world where he's back, and it's I, not a world I thought I was going to envision like a, when the season ended, that's for sure, is Nerland Noel. Because if Mitch goes and mention the, the organization part ways. Noel gives them an interesting opportunity of a guy who's like an expiring contract. And he's like, they know they already know from experience, like if he's healthy, he's serviceable enough to play 30 minutes, you know, whatever, 25, 30 minutes a night. And it's an interesting position that they could be in when it's like, all right, if he's healthy and he plays great, if he's not healthy and he can't play, or we don't want him to play anymore and we stick him on the bench. We could go that direction too. And there's your route to playing Sims and Obi at the five and like whatever else. Like, I think he just, he gives them like, I, cause I don't think they're going to find any takers. And I also don't know if they're going to like pay anybody to take them off their hands. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I wouldn't be shocked if Noel's back. I'll just say that. Well, do you think there's going to be a come to Jesus moment between Tibbs and Leon Rose this off season? Have they had the conversation already? 
I think like, it already happened. Because right, that's what I'm saying. Has it happened already? Like, like it, maybe it has. Like, I think there's be, a succession plan in place. You know, because my bet is that they don't want to come in the middle of a year and tell a head coach who to play. And right, you shouldn't do that, by the way. That's not how good organizations function. No. But you can have that conversation in the offseason, certainly. And the question is, did that conversation happen? And how much is Thibodeau going to agree with that and go along with it? And if not, how short of a leash does he have? Tibbs too, is- right? I mean, these are these are all, I think, things we don't know. There's so much we don't have answers to right now, which kind of makes it so much fun, right? That is just going to dictate how they handle all this over the next couple what, months. What Tibbs is never going to do, he is never going to play a guy that he does not think has earned the right to play now i I could i could hear from my apartment all of the people (laughs) yelling and screaming about what the fuck does that mean in terms of like what are tim's definitions of like who should play and who should not because obi Toppin and emmanuel quickly and like you could throw some other guys names out there sure as shit seems to be doing everything asked of them and then some and just couldn't seem to get off the bench I understand it's an incredibly vague and amorphous thing. I'll tell you what, um, though, I could I, quickly. I can't. I could find some things with Obi that I can understand yeah, why Tibbs didn't want to play him for sure. And I think what fans love the most about Obi, the runouts on the fast break. I think some of those drove Tibbs nuts because oh, Obi doesn't, I, because Obi doesn't defensive rebound. Uh, and if you're big in Tibbs' system, you're better sure as hell defensive rebound. And Obi does not defensive rebound well at all. I, I think that his, is a low key, huge reason why he doesn't get on the floor but more that's, for the Knicks. That's often where the fives come into play. Like yeah. Mitch, Sims, Noel. Like those are the guys. And they and their guards the and, and they love their guards getting in there and rebounding. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I don't think with yeah, Thibodeau sentiment. I just think that's what he thinks. No, I, <laughs> yeah. I, but I think you look at why. Emmanuel quickly, like he, I don't know what his rebounds for 36 minutes were by the end of the year, but it was, oh, it was really excellent. freaking good. And, and they, that's a, that's a schematic thing. I think they, and I think I, I'll give Obi this. I think his timing on when he breaks is pretty spot on most of the time. I don't think I he agree. breaks too early. Um, anyway, I don't, I don't interrupt you. I'm sorry. No, I no, no, no. I think yeah. I, 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 that's, he will not, he will, he won't play a guy that he doesn't feel like is earned the right to play. And well, so that means Cam Reddish ain't playing, bro. <laughs> well, but, boy, he was brutal when he played last year. Holy cow, was he bad? But that's why I think it's going to be very interesting if Cam Reddish is on the roster come opening. Like, if there's one young guy, I would. This isn't even a, a close question for me. If there's one of the quote unquote young players who I would put my chip on not being here on opening night, it's Cam Reddish. I'm not saying I want that, but. I wouldn't be shocked. Sure. And we have, we have proof of them potentially flipping him to the Lakers is why they are willing to be loosey goosey in terms of players who are staying and not Uh, just quickly to backtrack for one second. I think that if, if the, if the Knicks don't have Mitchell Robinson here and they go in with Nerlens Noel as the starting center, they've probably failed. The reason being that Noel gets a bad rap for the whole health factor. Last year was really the only year he's been unhealthy for the last four years. It seems he just gets nicked up enough where, and flails that people think he's unhealthy, but just even still with that, your contingency plan is Sims and Taj. And I just, it's fine if Noel is your contingency plan because Mitch goes down. I don't think it's optimal if Noel is your first option. If he goes down, then you have to have Sims. But I, I digress a little bit um, because I guess that, you know, in terms of well, we're saying what in terms of like the I've almost lost the thread at this point. Schmilk, where 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 were we? At? No, I think you answered the question. I like, think we were talking be- about who's going to be back and who's yeah. not. The vets you and young guys, based on and the conversation with Tibbs about how we're going to handle this roster next. That's year. what. Okay, oh, yes. Um, you're you're asking like if they're on the same page. I think we know they're on the same page because Leon Rose released a letter. A letter came out talking about the young core four times, and then that week you have Mark Berman saying, "Oh well." Tom Thibodeau was saying that <laughs> the maybe, Mark Berman voice, maybe he's not <laughs> poor. Mark, you know, he should have been doing the young, play, having the young players play more. It didn't even like, sound like that. Poor Mark. Whatever. I, I'm sorry. I don't have the bravado <laughs> of a six foot three man. Um, regard from especially from Long Island. Anyways, like that is the type of mindset where the come to Jesus moment was Leon Rose saying to Tibbs, we have to like, we're going with the young core and you can either embrace it and we want you to embrace and, it because we don't want to fire you or there's the door. Then don't fucking trade for Malcolm Brogdon. Exactly. No. And that's why it feels 
Like, well, I like as a player, by the way. Effort. By the way, I, I, I was going to interrupt both of you guys on Brogdon. You can't do that. Like no, that man. That's the whole point. You trade for a guy like Brogdon, you're putting yourself in kind of that no man's land, right? You give you a short little boost on the wins that's not going to be significant. It'll make you a little bit happy, but you're trading assets for him. That, to me, doesn't make any. Brunson, I can, I'll can. i be better. I'll be okay with overpaying Brunson yeah. than trading for a Brogdon. Much, At least Brunson yep. has room to rise. And he'll he'll help the other players around him and their right. floors rise as well, which I think gets lost in the sauce quite a bit with the discussion about him. But that's another topic for another day. Yeah, um, this is fun. I, I, I enjoyed having to because we we talking to each other until we're blue in the face. It's nice to inject the third voice into this conversation. Yeah. Well, you know, and I'm always so positive at everything. So basically, we're looking at at best mediocrity until 2025 is is, is basically what you're telling me. Jeremy. Well, let's let's end with some no, 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 some no. win, win total. <laughs> I'm not gonna let you go there. <laughs> let's let's end with some win prediction totals since we've we've talked up and down about what they're gonna be and this and the other thing. Uh, God. John, I'll give you the first honor. How, Wait, how many win, games are winning? Next year, win prediction totals? Yeah, next year, win prediction totals. You don't even know totals. what the draft is going to be. Obviously, these will be revised, but. Because, <laughs> no, no, because then someone's going to clip it and be like, hey, remember when John, John, and Jeremy said that so, it was like 27 okay. wins? And so then they- all of us should, should start our sentence with my pre draft, pre free agency win <laughs> prediction is. People could still cut it. They could still say, oh, my. Win prediction is, and then the number. But technology yes. these days. I will. Okay, fine. I'll put myself on. My pre-draft, pre-free agency win prediction is 35 wins. Okay. I also want you to bring, did the Knicks trade up, trade down, or stay put on draft night? Give me both of those. Trade down. All right. I'm going to go Knicks next year. 38 and 44. It's a nice number. Yeah, they bump, they, they bump up one win. And let's say I think they frustrate the hell out of people and trade back. Okay, so we're in agreement on that. Yeah. Jeremy, this is going to be clipped for perpetuity. All right, that's fine. I can live with that. <laughs> this is a Knicks team that with all its trials and tribulations went 37 and 45. Yes. Come on, we, do it. 53 really wins. That? Make Robert Cross happy. Nope. Sorry, Robert. It's not going to be 53. But I will go as far as saying, as of right now, 41 and 41. Hey. Maybe towards 42 and 40, but I'll be, I'll be nice. even keeled and say that's 500. But. That's Malcolm Brogdon's music. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, hopefully it's a different point guard's music. But I will differ from the two of you. I think the Knicks trade up. And I think they can find a partner in the 7 to 8 range because there are things that the trailblazers want that the Knicks might be able to provide them with. And there are going to be cost cutting moves that the Pelicans might see down the line that the Knicks could potentially help them with too. If they see a guy and if they want to move back, they being blazers the, the, or, or the Pelicans, Pelicans then yeah. I know a team that would probably be interested in snagging a guy. So soup to nuts. You don't think Julius Randle's on this roster come free agency day. Do you, you think he's gone before free agency hits? I do. <laughs> Whoa, Ooh, before, oh, sorry, before free agency hits if they uh, n- not necessarily not the draft would be a great night for them to do it 100 percent. i i'll say by, by the start of the what moratorium give or take yeah. yes i think julius is gone if they trade julius randall this summer i will not at like that'll be my fa- father's day present christmas present birthday present i won't ask for anything for the and by the way, it kills me, by the way, because he's the most talented guy on the team, like just pure talent. But my God, watching him last year, you want to put your face through the wall. I mean, he just was just so irritating. It's not and what you want. It's frustrating because you thought you had the found money, John, like you said, yeah. and he was your cheap way to a superstar. And then, and then he found the money and he, and yeah. he took it. He did. <laughs> right. All and, 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 and then the bail like this when his value was low. You know, you let Kendra have the last laugh on Knicks fan TV on Hunter Man CP over there. Listen, it, it hurts, and I and my logic tells me not to do it. But Jesus, I mean, they listen, need they, a shake up, and I think the only way you truly shake this roster up is if you trade Julius. And here's the thing: the reason I pick 38 wins is that I don't think Leon Rose does it, and that's why I had them stuck at 38. If they trade Julius, maybe we can have a little bit of a different conversation later in the summer. 
Man, they trade Julius and they get better. I'd be so. It's not impossible, by the way. It's likely. It's not not impossible. No, no, nothing. As Kevin Garnett once said, nothing is impossible. And who knows? Maybe maybe RJ gets better when Julius isn't there for all we know. I mean, anything could happen. That's the thing. I want to see these young guys put in better situations and more challenging situations to see, to Jeremy's point, if they can increase their value, to which point training for one superstar doesn't completely drain your pool of assets. And that's I think what you need to do. That's all you can do. And in order to do that, Thibodeau has to stop playing, you know, Derek Rose, Julius Randle, and Alec Burks and combined 120 minutes a game. And if you can get there, then you're in good shape. But I don't. We're forgetting. I, I've been burnt too many that? times to believe it's going to happen. I hope you guys are right. I hope it does. I, I'll believe it when I see it. And I hope it does. I feel like we're at the point where so much happened this past season that the Knicks are going into next year underrated. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> we're so downtrodden about things. I think that things it seem like everything. And I know yeah. it, it may not feel like that, but it still did feel like everything that could go wrong in no, so many ways. And they won 37 games. Yeah. Here's the problem, right? You think of their 44 win year, right? And you're like, well, you get back to 44 wins. Well, once you get rid of Randall, get rid of Rose, that 44 win season becomes irrelevant. Because the two guys that got you to 44 wins, 41, not 40, 41 and 31. Yeah. 40, I'm sorry, 41 and 31. My bad. I'm going to have said 44. Pro, well, no. prorated, pro it was like 46 if you go for 82 games. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's what I was thinking. They're good And there's year. some preseason games. They won a postseason right. game. So 10 yeah, plus games over 500, whatever the hell it was. Yeah. They got there because of Rose and Randall. So once they're gone, that season's irrelevant. Like that's not the ceiling anymore because the guys that got you there aren't here anymore, right? Yeah. And you're almost starting from scratch, which to me is a good thing. Because like I said, that season almost took them off the path a little bit. Now they need to get back on that path. And maybe in order to do that, those two guys can't be here. One thing that kind of just occurred to me in terms of, because you had asked before in terms of almost regretting whether the Knicks made the playoffs in that season or not. I think the, the strongest argument for why I'm comfortable with it, even though, sure, part of me does absolutely wish that they could have finished the lottery pick, but that's neither here nor there, is that, it gave the the younger Knicks exposure to the playoffs and how different of a game it was. And oh, RJ fair. talked about it on yeah. the podcast, uh, Old Man and the Three with JJ Redick, about how different the game is and what needs to change and how he can adjust his approach. And it's one of those things where as a young player, you don't really know it until you experience it. I just think about the fact that you had RJ Barrett, Obi Toppin, Quentin, Gr- not Quentin, excuse me, Emmanuel Quickly. Yep who were able to get a taste for what that was. And they can use that to their advantage to say, okay, well, we learned from our mistakes. It didn't go over all the first time. And then hopefully they can grow. And then the other guys will still be young and they'll be a bit greener and it'll take time, but at least getting to the playoffs, getting that exposure, showing you can win, being a winning player and why all these veterans ahead of the Knicks, why I think that the Knicks will move most, if not, I don't again, I don't want to say all because they're going to get veterans back, but most of the veterans currently on the team is because then it it prioritizes the young players as players on the team and of course as trade assets in the event that the star were going in circles about whoever it might be is available. You being able to rise from there. You just made me think of something last last point for me is not only was it the playoffs last year, but this past season for as absolutely as infuriating as it was to watch from our point of view at no point, even as they were losing 17 of 20 games um, or whatever it was, 14, I forget, I've again, it's, it all runs together. A lot of games in a short period of time, losing never became accepted, which for years and years and years here losing, it was just like, it was accepted. Like, okay, this is not going to be a season in the playoffs. It, maybe it was a futile effort. It was a futile effort. It turned out to be, but like it was until the last two weeks of the seasons, like we're fighting, we're fighting, we're fighting. And then, you know, the, the it, they couldn't fight anymore because like just the math didn't add up. But like, I think it was important that all of these young guys with the exception of RJ, who was here for that, the one year where it was kind of early on, like, what did they start four and 18 where it was like, yeah, we're, we're just, this, this is not happening this year. Like it is, it's a culture where they are going to try to win games. I do think that that's important, you know, and that reflects back on, on some other things. Um, I agree with that, John, by the way, though, the funniest part of this though, is that losing has to be a little bit acceptable to the owner. 
Because if the owner doesn't accept oh, some think, level of losing the next I think it years, infuriates him. This whole plan can be derailed by one phone call and one bad yeah. press conference after well, a game by the owner. Like, because if he says, look, I'm, I don't want to wait till, you know, 2024 to wait for someone to demand the trade or then wait for free agency in 25. I want results now. Yeah, but and that that's either why he forces hired Rose Leon. into a bad move or you start firing people and you bring in a new guy and whatever. Like the thing about rebuilds, there has to be some acceptance of losing in the presence to improve in the future to some extent. I'm not saying, yeah, but there's losing, there's losing and there's losing. If, if he wanted, if he wanted to go that, if he was, we know he doesn't accept losing, which is why Sam Hinkie's right. not the GM right now. And right. that's why Leon Rose is the GM. No, so you're right about that. Yeah. And I think he, he's accepting, he's accepting of the, the process, different, different process in a different context. Well, what are so. you, what are you selling? If you're the Knicks, like, this, the sale, the sales pitch is, sales pitch is the young core. If you're able to then try to prioritize RJ Barrett, Obi Toppin, Manuel quickly, you can yeah, take a you step. You could sell that. Like you could, you could stumble next year and the flames would be a little bit hotter for sure. But I don't see it as like, and hopefully I'm wrong here. Um, or I guess hopefully I'm right that Dolan doesn't say, go get me a star. And that's that. I well, think if you he's, fail with the young guys, I think long. the fans are more accepting of that, Jeremy. You're not going to have booze, rain, you know, yeah. raining. And you know what? It won't night. be because of a lack of effort. It will never be a lack of no. effort with these young players. And, and that's, that's all, why that's that's all we want. And that's why it was so heartbreaking with Randall because we in the, he was eating out of the palm of our hands, or, or we were eating out of the palm of his hands, whatever. And now we're in the spot. All fans want is hope. Right. And if you see the young guys out, and I'm serious. Hope and hope effort sells, guys. If fans can hope see. Even the dimmest light at the end of the tunnel, it could be the dimmest light possible, right? If they can see that light and they think they're going towards it, they will accept things. But if they think that you're on the wrong track heading into pitch black, and that's what they thought for much of that last year with Burks and Randall and all those guys, that's what a big, yeah. now right or wrong, yeah. that's what a buckle the fan base thought was happening. Yeah, and I agree with that. They didn't have hope at that point. But if you can get these young guys playing, even if they lose games along the way, but they're playing well and you see sparks, fans will like that. They'll go to the games. They'll be excited. And hopefully that will allow the owner to have some more patience here to let this plan go through. Uh, it's crazy. Dolan is not an active worrying point of mine. I don't know when's the last time. That, that is maybe the best compliment I can give. Leon no, I agree. Rose. And he, he isn't an active worrying point for me either. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And, and once he was the only thing I worried about with this organization. <laughs> um John, where can the folks at home find you and your content about um, not the Knicks as much as you once talked about them, uh, mostly the Giants? I will ask you for a Giants prediction before I let you go. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, find me on Twitter at Schmelk. I tweet out all my Giants content. I try to limit it to content promotion and I'll have some random Nick tweets here or there. Um, hopefully lightning strikes and that would be nice because that's kind of, we're all just waiting for them to fall ass backwards into something. And sadly for Nick fans, that hasn't happened since literally the Patrick Ewing lottery in which they have felt ass backwards yeah. into anything. Um, and hopefully that happens and they, you know, pull some luck here at some point. And I'll, I don't I, know if I, it's going to happen listen, or when, but we hope it will at some point. Right. It's, it's been a long time since the Knicks got really lucky. They're due. That's all <laughs> I'm going to say. They're due. They're due. Um, They're due. Wait, give me a, give me a, a giants for day. What are the giants going to go this year? Um, I think this is going to be one of those reset to start, then the next year start moving up type of thing. You know, okay. I've been all our Giants content. Check out the Giants podcast network, by the way, giants.com slash podcast. We have our uh, daily call and show, Big Blue Kickoff Live every weekday at noon, the Giants Huddle podcast. Check it out. Um, I think this is a step back to move forward here. So I think you're probably looking at, you know, probably a couple more wins than last year, you know, maybe somewhere in the six area, maybe seven, if the okay. things go well. And then you make further roster changes next year. You make the decision on the quarterback. Hopefully he's really good this year and it makes the decision easy. And then you kind of go from there. And I think, you know, the first year of a new regime is rough because it's not their guys. Most of the guys on the roster. So you got to figure out yeah. who they like, who they don't, you know, the cap situation got squared away this year with a lot of casualties along the way next year. There's a couple other guys they can make tough decisions on. So uh, much like the Knicks, the giants have kind of had a bunch of resets every couple of years, the last decade or so, which is not a way to run a successful franchise. John Mara said that many times. So hopefully this is the new addition that sticks and it works and they begin building up and then doing well again this year. Who's in, who's in New York longer, RJ Barrett or Daniel Jones? Oh, I think you have to bet on Barrett at this point. Mm. Okay. 
So I was hoping you'd say. Yeah, I think you have to. <laughs> and by the way, he should be. I don't hate RJ Barrett. I, I don't just, know. I just, I just don't made think a he's a future case. All NBA player. If you if, if not thinking he's a future All NBA player makes me a hater, then I guess I'm a hater. But um, we're 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 not that dissimilar there. Um, <laughs> well, this was great. Yes. All right, John. Yeah. What do you got, Jay? I got two questions. Number yeah. one. Uh, what game does Tyrod Taylor become the quarterback of the Giants? Oh my God. Number two, what quarterback are the Giants picking next year? Uh, well, when does Daniel Jones, they're not going to pull Daniel Jones for Tyrod because of, because of performance. In my, in my opinion, if it is because of injury and you know, I mean, hell predicting injuries. I have no idea. Sure. We'll see. Uh, tell me where they're picking and I'll tell you who they might. Who well, they if they're winning six, pick. if they're winning six games, uh, are they picking seventh? They're picking eighth? Uh, yeah, probably somewhere in that area. I mean, I think if you want the, the, the cream of the crop, you're probably going to have to move up and then that gets tricky. You hey, know, who's up Josh there? Allen, that, didn't he go 10th, 11th, 12th? You know, you could, like yeah, that's true. You can know if you roll the dice on somebody like that. Oh, one other thing I want to say to you, Macri, I got yeah. a beef. What? I learned sadly <laughs> this year, this week. What? We would not have been friends if we grew up in, if I grew up in Queen, uh, you're a Queens guy or a Long Island guy? I'm a Staten Island guy. Staten Island guy. All right. Yeah. Well, if I was, I would grow up in Brooklyn. If we went to the same New York City high school, you, we would not have been friends. Why I is heard that? you say on this podcast, your favorite athlete growing up was Michael Jordan. He was. How? You were a Knicks fan, I know. bro. I I knew I, so many people that were like you in Brooklyn. And he's not alone, Jeremy. There were people that claimed to be diehard Nick fans that loved Michael Jordan. And my question was, what did you do when that man ripped into your heart? Oh, like I never. It's the Temple of Doom and tore your heart out of your chest and wasn't even gracious about it. Spiked it, stomped on it, laughed at you. Like, how did you root for that guy? I didn't root for did him. that to you? I didn't root for him when he played the Knicks, obviously. But how could you root for him after he gets past the Knicks? He was my introduction before the Knicks, actually. He was my, I don't think I ever said this. He was my introduction to basketball before the oh, okay. Knicks. Yeah. So, like, I knew about Michael Jordan, literally the first, my, my, my God, my older half-brother, He's, I'll never forget the first, first conversation I ever had with anybody about basketball was like, you got to see this guy, Michael Jordan. He literally hangs in the air. And I was like a seven year old kid. I was like, Oh, that sounds cool. Uh, <laughs> and then I, you know, watched the game and I was like, and then realized like, Oh, my family like follows this team that plays locally. And then obviously I was sucked into the Knicks, but like, I don't know. I just, Oh, so he was Jordan, Jordan. Came first. Jordan was first. That's no. the difference. Well, he was first, like the first thing I, was familiar with with basketball, okay. but the uh, the Knicks were obviously always first in my rooting interest. Like no, I never that makes sense. So for, if you were drawn, if you knew about Jordan and fell in love with Jordan before you fell in love with the Knicks, I, that I don't know if I, that that that's that that's at least a decent explanation for me. Yeah, I don't know if I fell in love with Jordan before I fell in love with the Knicks, but I like I knew about him, and like I I definitely like he was this mythical figure. I'm talking about when I was like a little little kid. Right. Um, and then, but no, I mean, like the Knicks were first, second and third in like my rooting interest. Like, I never, again, I never rooted, obviously I never rooted against the Knicks. So like, did you root hard for the Bulls in the finals against the Suns the year they knocked the Knicks out of the Eastern Conference finals? I no. Um, because I, I was like, Thunder Dan, let's go. Let's go. I was, that was like my first year really watching basketball in 92, 93. And I don't even think I was really rooting for, I, I, yeah, I'm sure I was probably rooting for Jordan in that finals. I was definitely rooting for Jordan in to get the, like after I rooted for the Knicks when they played the Bulls in like the 90, what was it? 95 playoffs. No, 90, sorry. 96 playoffs. Um, but then like once the Bulls won that series, like, yeah, I rooted for Jordan against the Sonics. And then I rooted for him against the Jazz. You hate Carl Malone, huh? That's the other thing I kind of got. <laughs> we're an hate, we're kind of an anti-Carl Malone podcast. And probably John Stockton. And by the way, you also said you think Reggie Miller was closer to being a superstar than Patrick Ewing. I, I mean, dude, come on. Do you know how many big shots Reggie Miller missed in the 90s? Oh, man. Just as many as he made, bro. Probably more. Yeah, when you, when you say it like that, it doesn't make sense. I j I'll say this. Reggie was a guy who... You trust it. I to me, I think I had faith in him in a big game. No, sure. Did you not have faith in Pat? Ooh. Honestly, not. Not I. I did. I. You know. Let me rephrase that. I did have faith in them. 
but my faith was not rewarded very often. <laughs> yeah, well, I, it's just you know, sad but true. Yeah, too many bad trades trying to build around that guy. Oh my gosh. Well, no, I, I listen. I think if they if they brought in the right the right someone to play along with him, I think Pat would have been a champion. Oh, that's what um, I'm saying. Like they they just couldn't build around him. I mean, the fact yeah. that Starks and Oakley were the two best guys to play with Ewing until he was it's ridiculous. And then of course Andrew Lang just ruined everything. Because if 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 that Andrew Lang play doesn't happen, they could have won a championship with Ewing pre-fat Achilles injury and then with with is that lockout between the Achilles injury and the lockout that probably shaved two years off of Ewing's career you might be right there you might be right and he's still and he's still gave it a go in uh in 2000 he was he outplayed morning he outplayed outplayed morning in the 2000 Eastern Conference in uh Eastern semis yeah Yeah, in the semis semis and then ran ran out of gas against uh Indiana unfortunately man I I did not calling you uh Don Macri because I feel like I'm getting a lot of Donnie Nelson vibes from you. I bet you would have. I mean, listen, probably trading. I would have traded Patrick. Yeah. Any other uh, thinking person. Yeah. Oh, man. I did not expect to be going down the the, the memory lane here, but I'm happy we ended here. Uh, Guys, I appreciate you having me on and give me a chance to rant and rave a little bit. Thank you. Pleasures all ours. Uh, if you're not following Schmilk, uh, go do so. He's a great follow. And obviously, if you like football and, and you like the Giants, uh, you will not find any better Giants coverage out there than from this man, John Schmilk. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.